This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, everyone, we're going to go ahead and... Okay, thank you. We're going to go ahead and get started. 11.30, right? Is that right? All right. Um, The title of this presentation is How to Get a Bible Study. Now, if you're in here for the last session, you already heard me say that most of you can have a Bible study before you leave GYC with somebody you've been wanting to study with. And I know that sounds kind of far-fetched. It won't at the end of this presentation. How to Get a Bible Study. And before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and ask God's blessing on our time together. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. As I do so, bow your heads. Father in heaven, Father, again, we are so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has made us new creatures and is your intention that this whole world would experience the salvation that comes through him. And Father, you intend to do it through our work as we go forward and share Christ with others, we pray, Lord, as we spend this time together to know how to do that more effectively, your Holy Spirit would be with us now and afterward to help us be more effective laborers for you. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, I should have read, I had this, this quote in my last presentation. Let me start out by saying this. <clears throat> I put a link on the screen in our last session for you to be able to download the notes and apparently that wasn't working. So if it isn't working now, did you check that and see if that, okay, good, it's working this time. So you'll have two presentations in there um, right now. I'll put one up each time I'm doing one of these, uh, so I'll put the third one up before the next uh, session. But if you go to that link, you can download the notes and I apologize that we didn't have them in the first session I intended to. Uh, In the last session, we talked about when evangelism doesn't work, and the summary of that was when we don't work. Of course, there was a lot more to it than that. But I just want you to understand that that, uh, the gospel commission was given us by Christ, and Jesus knew what was going to work through the end of time. And his primary... uh, His primary goal was that his people would be the means of sharing Christ with others and preparing for a second coming. And his people includes me and you. Now, I want to start out today, we're talking about how to get a Bible study, with a statement found in the book Christian Service. It's on page 69. And it says, let ministers, that would be me, teach church members, and some of you may be ministers, I'm not sure, but some of you are church members. Uh, All of you are church members. We're all church members, right? Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time on that. I really want to flesh that out. I wish I had it on the screen for you. This is so important. This is one of the most Um, what do I want to say? This statement from the pen of Ellen White is, 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 uh, addresses a great need in our church today. Again, I'm starting again with a quote, let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality. So I want to pause there for a minute. I want to, I want to tell you that, and I've kind of alluded to this in our last session, The word, even the word evangelism, has become a byword in a lot of churches today in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We talk about evangelism, we think about, oh, one of those big public meetings with all these prophecies, things, and the uh, scary beasts, and all that. That doesn't win people, and and yada, yada, yada. And I've heard this because I've been in evangelism for years about how it's ineffective, and what have you. And every strain of it, the idea of, of... a church focusing on evangelism, I've had church after church, as a pastor, churches say, pastor... 
I'm glad that you're talking about outreach, but we can't just focus on outreach. We also need to focus on inreach. Now, I'm not going to ask if you've heard that, because maybe you've said that before, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to say, except for to understand this. None of our churches are suffering because we're doing so much outreach. Okay? Some people are telling me, Pastor, we need to do more inreach. Hey, I'm all okay with inreach, but a heart that has a passion for souls is not going to distinguish whether that soul is a church member or not a church member. People, Jesus, you didn't have to tell Jesus, now be careful, Jesus, not to focus too much on the people on the outside. When you have a heart for souls, you're going to, you're going to love all souls. I'm not going to say that some churches may not have been imbalanced, but by and large, the problem in our churches today is not that we're doing so much evangelistic outreach. That's just the reality. But, Having said that, I still have people say, Pastor, our, we need to do more inreach. And then the word, this is the word that's brought up. We need, you can't just do evangelism. People need nurture. Have you heard that before? Nurture. And we talked about that in our last session a little bit. And what does it mean to nurture? Let me ask it this way. When we talk about nurturing outside of evangelism, what kind of things do people nurture? Babies? What else? What did we talk about in the last session? Who was here? What do you nurture? What's that? Plants. And those are usually the first two things people bring up. When you're talking about nurturing, you nurture babies. You nurture plants. What does it mean to nurture something? What's that? Take care of it in order for what? To them to grow, to help something grow. Don't miss this. Okay, this isn't my opinion. This isn't some book I got from the ABC or some church growth guru. This is the prophet of God speaking to his people so that we don't get sidetracked here and there and the other. You want to know how people grow? Nurture, right? Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, you call that nurture, right? How do we nurture? How do we get nurtured? How do church members get nurtured? Then in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Now we may have a lot of ideas about how we're going to grow, but this is what God says to us. You want to grow spiritually? You've got to share the truth with somebody. That's what's going to make you grow. That's going to make you grow more than anything else. In fact, I wish I had the statement right here in Testimonies to Ministers. Ellen White says, um, if I can remember the wording of it, um, that if church members would go out, I'm loosely paraphrasing here, and labor for souls, they would gain... No, no, no. She says that church members won't gain one tithe of the strength, a tenth won't gain one tithe of the strength that they would receive if they would go out and labor for perishing souls. In fact, it, there's more to the state. It's a better statement than that, but I, the first part says something like ministers constantly devoting attention to those members. And she says that they, would, they, would gain, they won't gain one tithe of the strength if the minister's constantly trying to help them grow than they would gain if they would just get out and share with others. The point is this, the Lord didn't just give the gospel commission to us for the people we're going to, he gave it to us for us. How many of you have ever had to teach a lesson, a Sabbath school lesson or give a study? Some of you here have given Bible studies, right? Do you learn the most from sitting in the lesson or from having to teach the lesson? Having to teach. And the Lord knows that and he, he knows that if we go out and try to share with others what, whatever little bit we feel we have, and let me make this distinction here. I hear this all the time. When I'm talking about giving Bible studies, people say, Pastor, I don't know enough to give a Bible study. I have two answers for that. The first one is, how much is enough? I mean, where's the magical tipping point? I mean, when you learn how to calculate the 2300 days, when you know what the wheel within a wheel is within Ezekiel, and it, ding, it tips the scale and say, now I know enough. A five-year-old can ask you a question you can't answer. If, if enough is, if enough is you, if somebody never asks you a question you don't know the answer to, I don't know enough. So, so we throw that out there. I don't know enough. 
So the Bible example I like to give is the demoniac of the Gadarenes, if you follow the story, right? Jesus goes, that there was the night on the lake, and the boat was tossed this way and that way. The disciples, who were lifelong sailors, were scared to death. They finally get to the shore. They're so glad to be on the shore. They get out, and here's this madman comes out of the cave, right, with the chains on his wrist, and he's got the matted hair, and he's howling out, and he's full of demons. You remember the story? In fact, I love reading it in Desire of Ages. Ellen White says as soon as the disciples saw him, they bolted. They go the other direction, right? And before long, they look around and Jesus is not with them. And they stop and they look back to where that demon-possessed man was coming out and there's Jesus standing firm. And the man comes up to him and Jesus just holds out his hand like this. And the man falls. It's a powerful when you read it in Desire of Ages. And he casts the demon out, the demons out of the man, right? And then what happens? The man wants to get, I'm cutting the, 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 to the chase in the story, but Jesus, the Bible says when he goes to leave that area, of course the people were all upset because the demons went into the pigs. You remember the story, 2,000 pigs. The demons go out of the man, into the pigs. The town wants Jesus to leave. The man gets into the boat or starts to get into the boat where Jesus was, the man who had the demons cast out, just had the demons cast out, never sat down and heard a whole sermon from Jesus, not one. And Jesus says, no, you go back and you tell everybody what I've done for you. How much did he know? So we're always like, oh, well, I don't know enough. No, you know enough. If you know Jesus, you know enough. And he'll take what you know and he'll multiply it. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden, not that the minister has laid upon them, but that the Lord has laid upon them. And then again she says, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Now that language is specific, leading souls into the truth. You don't lead a soul into the truth by just saying God loves you and being on your merry way. I'm not saying not to do that, but I'm saying that wouldn't apply here. That's not what this is talking about. The burden that the Lord has laid upon you is not just saying God loves you. The burden God has laid upon you is not just giving a tract. How do you lead somebody into, and when she says lead them into the truth, it means lead them into the truth that we believe is Seventh-day Adventist so that they take their stand with Seventh-day Adventists. How do you do that? Bible studies. You've got to give them studies and study them into the truth. And she says, that's the burden that the Lord has placed on you. And I, as a minister, need to let you know that unless you do that, you can't grow spiritually. She goes on to say this, those who are not fulfilling their responsibility should be visited, prayed with, and labored for. Now, with that language, you're laboring for somebody who's weak in the faith who needs to kind of be brought back. Does that sound like a serious thing? Jesus wants his people to be leading souls into the truth. In the same book, Christian Service, page 42, Ellen White said this, as she looked down, we talk about revival and reformation. Did you know that Ellen White saw what it looked like? And we were talking about revival, when's it going to come? And when it comes in this church, what's it going to look like? She saw it in vision. Listen to what she said. In visions of the night, representations past to be forming of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Let me make something clear to you today. We don't have hundreds and thousands of ministers in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We don't have hundreds and thousands of ministers and leaders combined in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The only way we're getting hundreds and thousands is the ministers and the, and the leaders and the lay people. And she saw them, hundreds and thousands, visiting families, opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened. With the heavenly influence, great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. So the Reformation is going to happen when you and me, we all get active in leading souls into the truth, carrying the burden the Lord gave us. And we grow spiritually. Now, I want you to know you can do this. 
every church member can lead somebody into the truth. Jesus will help you to do it. And I want to tell you the reason I know a lot of people don't, I've had people tell me this repeatedly, well, I'm afraid I'm going to mess something up. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I don't want to try to give, I've got enough problems myself. I'm going to try to help somebody else. I'm going to mess up their life too. And sometimes we think that way. I don't know enough. I don't, I'm not going to do a good job at it. I shared this in the last session. For those who weren't in here, education page 268 says, in this work, as in every other, skill is gained in the work itself. It is in the water and not on land that men learn to swim. You learn by doing. And this is coming from the prophet of the Lord. So that's saying the Lord is telling you, hey, I know you're going to have some mistakes and flub ups and whatever, but get out and do it. And I'll work with you. And I want to tell you from my experience, the Lord has a way of, helping people hear what they need to hear and keeping them from hearing what they don't need to hear. He'll use you to do his work. And I want to share with you another statement that maybe you haven't heard before that's been an encouragement to me in my ministry and in my life. It's from the book Gospel Workers, and it says this, It is even more excusable to make a wrong decision sometimes than to be continually in a wavering position to be hesitating, sometimes inclined in one direction and then in another. More excusable to make a wrong decision than to make no decision. Sometimes we go forward and we make mistakes going forward, but we learn from our mistakes, and God can use that. When if we're so scared that we're going to make a mistake, we don't do anything, what's God going to do with it? He can't, he can't bless the study you refuse to give. Right? If you, if you go out and you share your faith, God can bless that. But if you're afraid to share your faith and you don't do anything, he can't bless it. But there's nothing to bless. So I want to encourage you, you can do this. The Lord Jesus has brought you here to either tell you or remind you that he has a work for you to do. There's somebody right now in your circle of influence that needs to know the truth. And he wants to use you to reach that person. So let's talk about who to study with. I, this is funny because I've, I've <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but I've had people ask me, so who do I study with? Like, are you really asking me that question? We live in a world full of people. I'm going to give you some examples of who to study with. Now, first and foremost, and you've probably heard this before, family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. I think it was in the last session I made the point that you're not, nobody is in the, where they are by accident. Your neighbors are not accidentally your neighbors or coincidentally your neighbors. We don't believe in coincidence as Christians. There's a God who controls all things. He raises up kings and he takes down kings and he, he works in the, in the affairs of men and he governs and he directs and upholds all things. And God puts you where you are in this time in earth's history, in the neighborhood, the city you live in, the job you live in, the school you go to, the classes you're signed up for. Family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors studies have shown that 75 to 90% of Christians come to Christ because of the influence of a friend or relative. Did you know that? And that 57% of all new members in the Seventh-day Adventist church were invited to evangelistic meetings or church by friends or relatives. Now, I hear this a lot, and you've probably heard it a lot, too. That's the best place to go. But I want to make this very clear. It's not the only place to go. Because I've had people say, I've tried it. I've tried my friends and my family member. My I want to tell you something about friends and family members and relatives and what have you. The reason that they're often a more fruitful field for evangelism is because you know them. The reason that they're often harder to reach is because they know you. Right? I mean, the fact is, it's a two-edged sword. You have a relationship there. But I mean, I remember when I became a Christian. I mean, my friends, my coworkers, they couldn't make it out. They knew what I was like before, but it was just like, yeah, I hear this guy, and he's talking different, and he's it, but I know. And they, they knew my life before, and it just was, for, for sometimes for, for family members, it's the same way. And, and there, there are pride issues and all kinds of things that can come up in that relationship setting. Sometimes the Lord can, can I'm not going to say in the long run, I think that God works on our, on our, oftentimes on our friends and family members over a more long-term setting. Sometimes things happen quickly. Sometimes, you know, it's in due season, as we talked about in our last session. But friends, uh, family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors is one area of finding somebody to study with. But missing members of the church 
is a great area. And I'm going to tell you something I remember growing up in the Adventist church. hasn't happened in a long time, by and large. But I remember it happening before my family left the church years ago, before I came back, and that was that on Sabbath afternoons, church members used to go visit people. They didn't do the hike to the springs, right? You know what I'm talking about? The bed springs, right? What do you call it? Hike to the springs, lay activities. I'm going to lay down all afternoon, right? We have all these little code names, or I'm going to take a nap on Sabbath afternoon and wait for the sun to go down. And in some Adventist circles, that's because you're so worn out with trying to be spiritual for a little bit of time, and then when Sabbath is over, we have a big party Saturday night. It used to be that people would take Sabbath as an opportunity to go out and try to and I mean, this is the easiest thing in the world. Get a list from the pastor, the elders. Just go visit somebody. You don't need to get, you shouldn't, shouldn't need to get a list. Somebody who isn't in church today, who is, who's normally there, go visit them. A visitor you're connected with or somebody else, you visit them. But if you are at a loss and you don't know who, you can ask the pastor, the pastor or the elders. But missing members, and I'm going to tell you, some churches, a lot of churches, a lot of our churches, unless yours is the exception, which I'd praise God for, but a lot of our churches have a book membership that is about twice the attending membership. My book membership in Cedar Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church is 485, and our attending membership is lucky to be 200. And that's how it was when I got there, and we're going through and trying to find these people and what have you, but I'm going to tell you that there are people that often live in the community of the church that you can go and visit, and I'm not going to tell you right, I'll tell you right now, a lot of them are disgruntled and what have you. They're either never coming back to church or whatever else, but there are always some that will be open to somebody coming and studying with them. And here's one of the first things you'll hear. You know, I've been going from that church in 10 years. Nobody's ever been by my house. I mean, it's as easy as making a Sabbath afternoon visit. You might find a potential Bible study that way. Church visitors is another way. There are people who come into our churches you know, look, when I run an Emanuel Institute session and we have the students come in and we're trying to get Bible studies, we take them out door to door and we knock on doors. Knocking on doors is not the most effective way. You know, friends, family members, coworkers, etc. That's much more effective, but we're not in their home area. We're on my turf and it's, it's the easiest way and it's the cheapest way. You can go out. We always find somebody who's interested, but you don't have the relationships built up and, you know, there's, you know, other factors. But church visitors, these are people who come right to your church. There are people who come to your churches every Sabbath. If you would just introduce yourself, hey, welcome to our church, what brings you here today? I've had church members say to me, well, I think they go to that other church over there, another Seventh-day Adventist church. Don't make any assumptions. Now, I know some pastor's going to be upset or some church member's going to be upset on this one, but when they come to my church, hey, I'm going to try to get them coming to my church. The fact of the matter is, they're visiting your church for a reason. And they may not be, and I'm not encouraging somebody being, oh, I don't want to get into it, but I'm just saying that there are people who come into our churches, even if they're a member, they might not have been to their home church in six months. I'll ask somebody, hey, what brings you here today? Oh, just visiting. Yeah, I, I, do you have a home church? You know, don't be a stranger. Hey, one of the things I like to do, and this is where I'll go, one of the things I like to do is, is study the Bible with people. you interested in doing Bible studies. Now, that's not, you know, that's easier to ask to a, a person, who, if they're already a church member, that might, you know, there might need to be more dialogue before you get into asking a question like that. But the fact of the matter is, you have visitors who come to your church, especially if you know they're a new person, and it's not offensive to them in church for you to say, hey, one of the things I like to do is give Bible studies to people. Would you be interested in giving Bible studies? Oh, we have a group study going on, and you'd like to be a part of that? So visitors to your church are a field for finding a Bible study interest. Church interests. If your church is doing uh, outreach, different outreach activities, and you have an interest list, which you should, you should have a guest book that gets signed. And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I've had, I've had greeters that are like, I don't want to take their name, that's invasive. The Lord brought them to your church. You have a responsibility. It's not, it shouldn't be invasive to sign the guest book. Take a gift to them. Get a little ministry in your church, and when people come to your church, have them sign the guest book and have a little committee organized to go out and take them a gift and say, hey, we're so glad you came by our church. We just wanted to bring a gift to you. And here's an offer for Bible studies if you'd like that. You may have, you know, there are different ways you can do that. I'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But church interests, maybe their interests um, that, that have come just sign the guest book, that's your visitors. 
maybe their interest from a, a supper club your church is doing or their interest from some other type of seminar, a depression recovery seminar, any kind of interest your church has at Interest Database, isn't it? these are people who came to you. Okay, I'm just talking about different potential places to find somebody to study with. Door-to-door uh, -door work, in-gathering, literature distribution, all of that door-to-door -door type of stuff is one way to find interests to study with. At Emanuel Institute, we do a community religious survey. We go in the neighborhood, we knock on the door, hey, I'm with Emanuel Institute, I'm in your neighborhood today taking a community religious survey, do you have a couple minutes? We go through the survey, and when it's said and done, would you be interested in studying the Bible more? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Now, you get a small percentage, but if you do a mailing, which is one of the things I'll mention here, you can do a mailing and you get three per thousand. We get better than that going door to door. For the most part, because you have the personal contact, but you're going to run through. You're going to run through a lot of people who are not interested. I, I talked to a pastor friend of mine because um, I haven't asked the question. Uh, he was talking to. We ran into a, a young Mormon guy at an airport, and it's a, a key part of there. We don't have this in the Adventist Church. Sometimes I think we should, and then sometimes I think we shouldn't. I don't think the forced idea, but the the, the idea is that the, as young Mormons, they go out and do missionary service for two years. And they're going door to door. You've probably had them come to your door. And he asked this guy, this minister friend of mine, asked this young Mormon in the airport, he says, how many houses do you go to before you find a person to study with? He says, right off, without even, he wasn't like, oh, let me see, because this is in, day in and day out. How many houses? A hundred. How many, how, many, how many people do you have to go through before you find somebody who actually joins your church? A thousand. Let me, let me make a point here, and I'm not trying to be um, critical. But the Holy Spirit is not bearing witness to their message as being the truth like he's bearing witness to your message as being the truth. And if they can go through and find interest, how much more should you and I be able to find interest who will commit themselves to the truth? Okay, the Spirit of God is working through door-to-door in-gathering literature distribution. It's another avenue. Mailings, you can do mailings. Social contacts. Your church may have socials and you meet people there. You may have social contacts through sports activities you attend or, you know, basketball night you go out to or community events. Your neighborhood may have something that they do and all your neighbors get together. Church socials, as I mentioned, all of these things are avenues to find interest. So there's no, my point is this, there's no shortage of finding people to study with. There are plenty of places to find people to study with. The reason we're not studying with more people, if we're not studying with more people, uh, tends to have to do with our willingness, and I'll expound on that in a moment. Uh, the last one I have in my list is divine appointments. Aside from everything else, the Lord will work something out, and you might be at the shopping, at the, at the grocery store, and get into a conversation with the person at the checkout that you hadn't even planned on, and the Lord has worked it out. And this person is asking you for Bible. Say, hey, what church do you go to? What? Have, how many of you had that happen? Somebody just out of the blue. I'm not seeing any hands up in here. Oh, okay. I see a couple of you. I know it's happened. I mean, I hear it all the time, but it's not, it's, not, it's not always that obvious. I should say everything's a divine appointment. The Lord works these things out because the Lord wants us sharing the truth with others. So to find somebody, where do you look to find somebody? You can look anywhere. There's all kinds of places to find somebody to study with. Now, I want to talk a little bit about determining a person's interest level because this is where the challenge comes in. Sometimes when you're thinking about studying with somebody and you're thinking about asking somebody and maybe a friend of yours or somebody else, you've already under, you've already, uh, uh, you already know that not everybody is interested in studying the Bible. What I want you to understand is this, and I'll, I'll rephrase it. Not everybody is interested now in studying the Bible. A lot of times we don't understand that the Spirit of God is constantly moving on people's hearts. Events are constantly taking place in people's lives. Of all people in the world, the last people in the world who should ever ask, why do bad things happen to good people, are Seventh-day Adventists, because we know that whatever God allows to happen is for a greater purpose. It's not, nothing is accidental. And you probably know, in fact, I, I dare say everybody in here, nearly everybody in here knows somebody whose life was affected positively because of some negative thing that happened to them. 
The reason I'm in the church as a Christian after my family left the church was because my grandmother got cancer, and through that whole experience, the Lord drew me back. And unfortunately, and it's been said this way before, too often the only time we look for God is when we're lying flat on our backs. And so God allows tragedy sometimes. He doesn't ordain it. He allows circumstances to come in in a sinful world in a person's life. And there may be a person you talked to, a friend you talked to last week who had no spiritual interest, who because of some course of events this week has all kinds of spiritual interest. Before my gra- the week before my grandma died, I had little spiritual interest. When my grandma died, all of a sudden all these questions were racing through my mind. And the, and the young man who had no interest in spiritual things all of a sudden was looking for answers. And the, and the world is full of people like that. People in your circle of influence you got to understand that people are at different stages. And what happens to many of us is we say, I know you're, you're talking about giving Bible studies. I've tried before. I've asked people. And, and uh, I've tried to give studies, and they're not interested. They just don't show any interest. And, and, and nobody, everybody says no. Well, Jesus talked about stony ground hearers and thorny ground, right? The man who went out to sow the seed, it didn't all fall on good ground, did it? When you go out and try to sow your seed, it's not going to all fall on good ground. Some of it's going to fall on stony ground. But don't take that to mean there's nobody who's interested in spiritual things. You want to learn how to discern where people have a spiritual interest. And there are ways you can do that. In Acts 14.9, let's see where we are time. Let's go, to, let's go to, I want you to look this up. I'm going to take more time on this later on in the week. But in Acts chapter 14... This grabbed my attention once when reading it. Acts chapter 14, verse 9. Paul heals a lame man. But it's interesting how the Bible words it. We'll start in verse 8, Acts 14. Notice verse 8. Bible says, In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had what? Never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, and notice, Paul observing him intently and seeing what? That he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stands. Now, let me ask you something. What would happen if Paul hadn't seen that the man had faith to be healed? He probably wouldn't have said stand. King James says perceived. Perceiving that this man had faith to be healed. Why was he perceiving the man had faith to be healed? What does it say in the Bible? Paul was doing what? Looking at him how? Intently. What does it mean to look intently at something? You're not just glancing around, right? In fact, to look intently for something is is to look for something. You're looking for a purpose. What do you think he was looking for? Paul was looking for any spiritual evidence, any spiritual openness. Paul knew the man couldn't be healed if he didn't have faith. There were people, Jesus went places and nobody could be healed because they didn't have faith to be healed. The point is this, when you're laboring for people, you need to pray that the Lord give you that insight and spiritual eyesight to see where a person's spiritual interest may be and know that a person, not everybody has that same level of interest. Paul perceived that the lame man had faith to be healed. There's something to be said about making a distinction between the people we're laboring for, but I'm going to save that for later. We're going to talk about that later. It's very important in soul winning success to be able to... to, uh, we call it categorizing your interest to discern where people are in their spiritual walk. And I'll talk about, again, that, the significance of that and how that plays into your success a little bit later on. But let's talk about you're looking for somebody to witness to. You're trying to find, for example, last, in the last session we talked about how in the agricultural cycle, the farmer prepares the soil, then he plants the seed, Right? And that he always, no farmer prepares the soil without the purpose of planting the seed. And Jesus said in the parable that the seed represents the word of God and the soil represents the human heart. So he was talking about basically sharing the word with somebody 
And the soil represented their openness to receive the word. And we talked about how you prepare the soil of the heart. For those who were here, or even if you weren't, how do you prepare somebody to receive the truth? This is review. How do you prepare somebody to receive the truth? Okay, you build relationships, something, you've got to build some trust, right? How do you know when enough trust has been built? The answer is simple. You don't. You can't read the heart. You will never be able to read the heart and know for certainty that the trust has been built. You'll have to look for evidences. You'll have to look intently for evidences, as Paul was doing. But the challenge is this. A lot of times, we don't go beyond just being nice to our neighbor because we're worried about what their response is going to be. So what I like to tell people to do is try to plant. How does the, let me ask you this way. How does the farmer know when the soil is ready for the seed? I have to be careful to say this, but I, I want to say the same thing I said before. He doesn't. Now, you can say a farmer does. Through experience, year after year, he, he knows. But he doesn't know. He knows because he's done it, and he knows when he sees certain characteristics that that soil is ready to take the seed. So there are things that we can do when we're trying to share with others. I like to call it planting test seeds. Right? How do I know the soil's ready? Well, plant a test seed in the soil. Now the seed is the word of God. You're introducing spiritual truth. How do you plant a test seed? Well, you can either say something spiritual to somebody. So you've got a coworker, you've got a friend, you've got somebody else that you're you get to check out at the again at the at the grocery store. You can throw out some spiritual thing and see how they respond. Now they're going to either respond positively or negatively. They're going to either be like, oh, they're going to show interest or they're going to brush it off. Fact of the matter is, rarely, I'm not going to say never, but rarely will you offend somebody because you bring up something spiritual. And I'm not talking about preaching to them. But for example, let's say a person, uh, uh, you don't only have to bring up something, you can respond a certain way. Let's say a person brings up something about the crazy weather we're having. I've got this in the handout. Or they're having difficulty with their teenager. Or they've been going through depression. Or, or they can't believe how rude somebody is. Or something or the other. And you respond by saying something like, you know, we were just, my pastor was just talking about in church, we were studying the signs of the last days. Now that may be a little bit more invasive. You can just say, you know what? I read, the, the Bible talks about people being rude in the last days. Okay? Now, nobody's going to bite your head off for that. I'm not going to say nobody. So I'm making a real bad move. But, I mean, r rarely, if ever, somebody's going to bite your head off about that. What, are they, what do you think they're going to do? They're either going to engage you on it, or they're going to brush it off. Oh, really? Where does it say that? Now, if a person responds to me that way, oh, really, where does it say that? What do I already know? There's some level of interest, Right? Doesn't mean that they're ready for Bible studies yet, but there's some level of interest. But a person may say, oh, that's neat. Well, anyway, and they go on with the conversation. What does that tell me? They're not interested, at least not now. Now, that doesn't mean they won't be later. But you throw out some test seeds. So, some examples I have in the handout are, you, you know, I was just reading something in the Bible about that. Or, you know, our pastor was talking about that last week in prayer meeting. Just throwing out something spiritual and seeing what they do. If they're open, if they engage, then you can start conversing. You know they're open. Say, you start to talk about it, and in the con context of that conversation, you can ask if they'd be interested in studying the Bible together. You may not do it in that particular conversation. You may learn in that conversation, hey, this person is open to spiritual things, and that may help you to talk a little bit more spiritually with a goal that, you know, maybe in a few weeks I'm going to ask this person to study together. But in any instance, they're either going to respond in a positive way or they're going to respond in a negative way. In either case, this will help you determine their level in spiritual things. Now, I'm going to tell you this now, and it's going to sound uh, uh, insensitive, but you'll, later on in the seminar, you'll find out I'll, I'll spend more specific time. 
But sometimes we spend a whole lot of our effort and time and energy on people who are not interested spiritually, and we allow that to be the gauge for everybody. Right? We've got this one person I want to study with, and they just keep saying no, and they just keep saying no, so I'm not talking to anybody. You know what's happening there? The devil's keeping you distracted from the person in your circle of influence that is ready and, and hungry for the truth. So be open to the Lord's leading and plant those test seeds. And hey, look, if a person shuts you down, that's okay. Keep praying for them. And then building that relationship and throw in another test seed later on. Now, there's, there's the idea of a person who's interested in spiritual things and the Holy Spirit's been working upon them. But did you know you can awaken a spiritual interest where there was no interest? There are times when the Holy Spirit may impress you to appeal to somebody spiritually that you don't have any evidence that they're interested in spiritual things. Now, I had a church member in uh, Michigan, one of my churches. He told me the story of his twin brother. Okay, his name was Kirk, and his brother's name was Carrie. And Kirk is telling me the story, and he's like, man, he said, there was a time in my life, it was early when he became a Christian, you know, in his early 20s, and he said, I, I was concerned for my twin brother because of the way he was going in his life. And as a new Christian, he said, I was so burdened about it. I finally appealed to him and I said, brother, you can't keep living that way. How is your, and I guess it had some religious background, enough that his brother knew some of the right things to do, enough for his brother to get really mad at him. And he said, I told my brother, I'm concerned with the way you're going. He said, listen, he said, how dare you judge me? How dare you think you're some holier than me and you're going to come? I don't want you ever to talk to me like that again. I don't want to ever hear about religion from you again. And I mean, I'm not giving, I'm just giving a little bit of what you can just imagine how that conversation went. And, and Kirk felt terrible about it. You know, he was burdened about it. He felt like he needed to address his brother. He couldn't shake the feeling, but when he did, he got his head bit off, right? And he said, I thought I blew it. Now, when Kirk told me the story, Carrie was standing beside him at one of our church socials. And that's when Carrie chimes in. He said, you know, he says, that was the first time in my life I started thinking about what I needed, the, commit, the decision I need to make for Christ. He says, when my, until my brother appealed to me that way, he said, I never even thought about it. And he said, it's, that was the reason I'm a Christian today. So, you know, sometimes the Lord has us say things that wake people up. Ellen White says in the book Evangelism, this is a fascinating statement, page 647, you are in need of vital energy from heaven. We must, in our work, not only strike the iron when it is hot, but make the iron hot by striking. Wow. That doesn't mean striking the people. That just means by sometimes you stir up spiritual conversation, not in a rude way, but just like Kerry did. He did it. His brother knew he loved him and everything else. He was bothered by it, but he was bothered in a good way. The Spirit used it. I'm not saying that happens every time, but there are times when you will, when there's no spiritual interest, where the Lord will use you to awaken that spiritual interest. Listen to this next one. It's Manuscript Releases, Volume 18, page 284. It says, I want to say, brethren and sisters, that we must labor for the wanderer I'm sorry, for the wandering where they are. Now listen to this. You need not expect those who have the chilling influence of the world upon them to manifest anxiety for their own souls. I'm going to read that again. Listen to it. You do not need to expect those who have the chilling influence of the world upon them to manifest anxiety for their own souls. Don't expect a person who's worldly to think about eternal things and care whether they're saved or lost. She says, we must manifest that anxiety for them. Okay, Lord puts us in places for certain, in, for certain reasons, and sometimes we're to stir up that interest. Now, all of this having said, there's all these places we can find an interest, and, and people are at different places, and there are test seeds and all of this other. But I'm going to tell you, uh, my brother Jim puts it this way. There are three ways, three ways to get a Bible study with somebody. You can ask in the morning... You can ask in the afternoon, or you can ask in the evening. You figure that out? 
The reason that James says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. And the fact of the matter is, I know a lot of people say, I sure would like to study with somebody. I wish I had a Bible study. We never ask anybody. You're never going to have a Bible study when you don't ask anybody. Now, we were at the, uh, I was not a pastor yet. My brother Jim is a pastor in the Michigan Conference. He's our personal ministries leader. He was not a pastor yet. We were just lay people new into the church. We went to a training seminar and it was put on by a man by the name of Tony Cerigliano, the late Tony Cerigliano. Um, pastor Tony called himself. And Pastor Tony had what he called Pastor Tony's surefire method of getting a Bible study. Pastor Tony's surefire method. Now here we were, we went to this camp meeting to hear this seminar. We were in the Pennsylvania camp meeting. Sitting in his seminar class, about 22 people in that seminar. And Pastor Tony gave us his surefire method, and this is what it was. Go to somebody that you have always wanted to study with. He used the woman at the well example, right? In the Bible where Jesus went to the woman at the well and he asked her for a drink of water. He asked her for a favor. He said, ask for a favor. And people will respond to that. You go to somebody that you've been wanting to study with and you tell them this. I'm taking a class. And in order for me to be successful or in order for me to complete it, I need to get a Bible study with somebody. Now, I'm a little bit nervous, and I was wondering if you could help me out. Would you be willing to study the Bible with me? That was Tony's, Pastor Tony's surefire method. And he challenged us right then and there. He said, how many of you will do this tonight? You'll leave the seminar, you'll call somebody up here at camp meeting, that whoever it is you've wanted to study with, and you'll ask them that question. And about seven people raised their hands. And both my brother and I are like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. We came back to the next day's seminar. So how many of you asked? Every one of the seven got a yes. How many of the rest of you want to try it out? We're just all oh, these hands go up, right? Now, I remember asking. I forget who I asked. They told me no. So I was one of the exceptions. Out of the 22 people, I want to say we got 17 yeses in that room. One of them was my younger brother, our youngest brother. Now, my brother Jim called him. He gave him Tony, Pastor Tony's surefire method. And my brother says, my brother was 17 at the time. Was he 17? No, he was younger than that. I think he was 15 at the time. And uh, he said, is this a trick? <laughs> my brother Jim said, no, it's not a trick. I, wanna, I need to study the Bible with somebody. Okay. So they started studying together. And the fact of the matter is, in the course of that study, when they started getting to what it really meant to commit to Christ, my brother was involved with a girlfriend at the time who had no interest in spiritual things, and he knew that if he went that way, he was going to lose her, so he quit the studies. But he started up the studies later on, and when he found another woman, they got married to another girlfriend, and then they got married, and my brother Jim completed the studies with them and baptized both of them. And it all started with Pastor Tony's surefire method. So there are people you might ask today for a study who might start and stop and start and stop. In due season you shall reap, if you don't lose heart, as we went about in the last uh, uh, session. So what was really the key to Tony's surefire method? Asking. Asking. You can dress it up however you want, but asking somebody. And I'm going to tell you something. You're in this seminar, even just this seminar, if you want to be, if you want to complete this training here today, you need to get a study with somebody. And I want to challenge you while you're here. I told you, while you're here, I guarantee you, while you're here, if some of you take me up on this, think of somebody you've always wanted to study with but were afraid to ask. Call them up. Say, you know, I'm taking this class, and in order for me to complete it, I need to study the Bible with somebody. I'm a little nervous about it, and I was wondering if you could help me out. Anybody here be willing to try that this week? If nobody's willing to try it, you're wasting your time in this seminar. Isn't it true? Hey, all right, in the back, right there. I'm serious. You can have all right. I'm going to ask you later on, if I see you somewhere, and I'm hoping to see you in here, you'll get people to say yes. Now, I had a no that time, but I found other yeses later on. The point is, Ask somebody. And all that we're saying, you have people in your circle of influence. The Lord has put them in your circle and you in your circle. 
He's going to connect you together. Just ask him. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what do I do when they say yes? We're going to talk about that further on in the week. In fact, this afternoon. But ask somebody. Don't be so afraid to be spiritual. Have you ever wondered why it is that worldly people have no problem at all, no concern that they're going to tell us about their weekend exploits and offend us by them? Right? I'm a Christian. It didn't matter. Now, I'm a pastor now. I still have people tell me crazy things. But I was an electrician before I was a pastor. I mean, I'm working in construction. Guys that come and tell me what they did over the weekend, they never said, oh, wait a minute. You're a Christian, right? Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I don't want to offend you with this. They never thought twice about it. They were excited about it, and they came and told me about their exciting weekend. Why do we have such a hard time telling them about our exciting God? Why do we worry so much to be spiritual? Now, I'm not talking about being offensive, but don't be afraid to be spiritual with people. You ask somebody, and the Lord will lead you to that somebody to study with. Now, I'm going to read to you something. It's in the handout here. By, um, <clears throat> how many of you know who Penn Gillette is? Penn and Teller. Have you ever heard of Penn and Teller? They're illusionists, magicians. They do this big show in Vegas, and I don't know, I haven't followed them for, for years since I've been a Christian. I don't watch illusionists. Amen. Um, get into magic and all that stuff. But they did this big show, and very well-known, not only well-known uh, magicians and, and what have you, but uh, Penn Gillette is a well-known atheist. So here's this guy running his shows in Vegas and what have you with thousands of people coming and headlining and TV and what have you. And there was a Christian man who went to one of his shows because he felt impressed to give him a Bible. Now, how would you like to go to a guy who was very openly atheist, famous on top of that, and try to get it and give him a Bible? I'm hoping most of you are saying, I'd love to do that. Amen? Now, he comments on it, and I got this from YouTube. I got him talking about this on YouTube. He comments about this Christian man trying to give him a Bible. Listen to what he said. He, he actually comments about it, and he's talking about, and I'm, I'm going to use the word, he uses the word proselytize. Okay, proselytize means sharing your faith. And he's going to comment on Christians who don't share their faith. Because this man shared his faith, and so this is what he says. I don't respect people who do not proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not worth really telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them? So here's an atheist who's saying, look, you're a Christian. I don't believe what you believe, but you believe what you believe. How much do you have to hate me not to tell me about eternal life that you believe in? <laughs> wow. He's not done. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. In other words, I'm going to get you, I'm gonna, if the truck is coming and you're not moving, I'm going to tackle you and make you move to save your life. And he says, and this is more important than that. Why is it that we allow the devil to get us so afraid to let people know that there's eternal life in Christ? That's what Jesus has put us here for. And I want to tell you something. In North America, statistically, only 2% of Christians share their faith on a regular basis. That's a tragedy because that was the commission of Christ. His whole life was seeking and saving the lost. He entrusted it to his disciples. It's like running one of those races, right, where you got the baton and you hand it off and you hand it off. And let's say you're going and you're winning, you're making headway and you're going down and then you hand off to the next guy and he goes like this. What? Run! You know, Ellen White says that the angels of God are just waiting. In fact, she uses this term. She says they are almost impatiently waiting for us. Because impatience is sinful. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is patience. The angels of God are not impatient. But if they could be, almost impatiently waiting. I mean, I can see the angels are like, man. Because let me tie that with something else. And I don't have it in these notes, but you can check this out in the light. In fact, 
I may as well give this. I give it to every class I've ever been in, every time I teach it. And if I teach it, if you've been through multiple classes or things I've done, you've gotten this assignment over and over. The book Evangelism, the chapter 31, the life work. It talks about the life work of everyone who follows Jesus Christ. It's not for the pastor. It's not the life work for the Bible worker. It's the, it's the life work for a follower of Jesus. Now, what was I going to say? It's in that chapter. It says that when we work in laboring for souls, we cooperate with the heavenly angels. And then Ellen White says this. More than that, she says, angels speak through our voices and work through our hands. Okay? So you think about it. The heavenly angels, with almost impatient eagerness, they're waiting. Where are God's people? Is anybody going to be, are they going to, oh, is he going to go out? And, is she going to go and tell, is anybody going to go, right? Because you're the vehicle they're going to use. Angels of God are going to work through you, but they can't work through you when you refuse. When I refuse, or does, uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm too scared. In fact, in that same statement in the book Education, she says that when we work with the angels and we, co they, they co we cooperate with the angels, we have the benefit of the angels' education and experience. I should have that quote right, right in front of me because it doesn't, I mean, it takes away every excuse we could ever give. Like, well, I don't know enough. Oh, that's okay. The angels know enough, right? <laughs> you have the benefit of the angels' education, but I don't have much experience. That's okay. You have the benefit of the angels' experience, too. Oh, okay. Well, I, what's left to say? With almost impatient eagerness, the angels wait for us just to say, Here I am, Lord, send me. And I can picture the angels, the 10,000 times 10,000, the thousands and thousands of angels looking, Here I am, send me. Boom! The angels are there. And they go with us and they speak through our voices and work through our hands and they lead people to the foot of the cross. And they put them and enlist them in God's remnant church to go and help finish the work. Because you said, I'll go, Lord. So how many of you are going to ask somebody to study the Bible with you? I didn't ask about calling tonight. You don't have to call tonight. You all were waiting. You're hoping I wouldn't get to this part because you're like, well, I can't call tonight. I don't have my phone with me. It's not charging. Okay, I'm not asking about tonight. I'm just saying you're here at the seminar. How many of you really want to put, in the old expression we used to use, put your money where your mouth is? Say, no, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm going to ask somebody. I'm going to pray that the Lord put on my heart and my mind the person I need or the persons I need to ask, and I'm going to ask them, would you be willing to help me out and study the Bible? Are you going to do that? I'm going to tell you, I promise you, based on inspiration, the Lord Jesus will send his angels and they will work through you and you will see souls one in his kingdom. And I meant it, I said it last night up front, you can bring the person to next year's GYC, and if you're not coming, you're bringing them to church wherever, the soul that you win to Christ this year. And it's not an imaginary thing. It's not something I can say that with full authority because we're told in inspiration that the Lord will work through you to win a soul. I can't guarantee, I can't guarantee it's going to be this year because it's on his timetable. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus says the harvest is what? Plentiful and the what? The problem is not that there's not a harvest. And let me just put it in practical terms. People today say, well, it's just our postmodern society. People aren't interested. That can't be true because when you talk about a harvest being plentiful, people evidently are interested. Jesus never said there was a problem with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. Will you say, here I am, Lord, send me? Will you say, here I am, Lord, send me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Father, I pray we would take to heart the things that we have looked at this afternoon. You've told us that we as ministers are to teach church members that if they want to grow in spirituality, they must lead souls into the truth. That this is the burden or the responsibility you have placed on each one of us for their good and ours. And Lord, if 
if we're not willing to go when you tell us to go? And how can we say that you're our master? So I pray, Father, as we meditate on these things, I pray even now your spirit, your spirit would be moving on the hearts and minds of those in this room, bringing to their minds the names of people, people that you have been working on and working in the lives of and on the hearts of and that you would lead those here today to those individuals. Give them the courage, Lord, to step out in faith and ask them to study together. And Father, open the way that they may lead souls into the truth. We thank you for the privilege of laboring with Christ and we ask and pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.